Good day, friends, and welcome to our worldwide Bible reading community. This is the One Year Bible Tour Guide podcast. It is July 22nd, and I am your host, David McAdam. It is a joy to be able to share this time with you, and I know that it will be time well spent as we are reading from the book that changed your world, and it contains a message that can change your life. Our hope is that you will be encouraged with the knowledge of God's grace and truth, which comes to the fore and is fully personified in Jesus Christ, the Word of God. We are reading from the Old and New Testaments each day, and we have the promise that we can profit by it. For all Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. 2 Chronicles chapter 6, verse 12 is where we pick up the narrative today. Solomon's temple in Jerusalem has been completed, and now it is being dedicated. So we start in the Old Testament book of 2 Chronicles, Chapter 6, verse 12, Solomon's Prayer of Dedication Then Solomon stood before the altar of the Lord in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands. Solomon had made a bronze platform five cubits long, five cubits wide, and three cubits high, and had it set in the court, and he stood on it. Then he knelt on his knees in the presence of all the assembly of Israel and spread out his hands toward heaven and said, O Lord, God of Israel, there is no God like you, in heaven or on earth, keeping covenant and showing steadfast love to your servants who walk before you with all their heart, who have kept with your servant David my father what you have declared to him. You spoke with your mouth, and with your hand have fulfilled it this day. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, keep for your servant David my father what you have promised him, saying, You shall not lack a man to sit before me on the throne of Israel, if only your sons pay close attention to their way, to walk in my law as you have walked before me. Now therefore, O Lord, God of Israel, let your word be confirmed, which you have spoken to your servant David. But will God indeed dwell with man on the earth? Behold, heaven and the highest heaven cannot contain you, how much less this house that I have built." Yet have regard to the prayer of your servant and to his plea. O Lord my God, listening to the cry and to the prayer that your servant prays before you, that your eyes may be opened day and night toward this house, the place where you have promised to set your name, that you may listen to the prayer that your servant offers toward this place, and listen to the pleas of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place, and listen from heaven your dwelling place, And when you hear, forgive. If a man sins against his neighbor and is made to take an oath and comes and swears his oath before your altar in this house, then hear from heaven and act and judge your servants, repaying the guilty by bringing his conduct on his own head and vindicating the righteous by rewarding him according to his righteousness. If your people Israel are defeated before the enemy because they have sinned against you, and they turn again and acknowledge your name and pray and plead with you in this house, then hear from heaven and forgive the sin of your people Israel and bring them again to the land that you gave to them and to their fathers. When heaven is shut up and there is no rain because they have sinned against you, 
if they pray toward this place and acknowledge your name and turn from their sin when you afflict them, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your servants, your people Israel, when you teach them the good way in which they should walk and grant rain upon your land, which you have given to your people as an inheritance. If there is famine in the land, if there is pestilence or blight or mildew or locust or caterpillar, if their enemies besiege them in the land at their gates, whatever plague, whatever sickness there is, whatever prayer, whatever plea is made by any man or by all your people Israel, each knowing his own affliction and his own sorrow and stretching out his hands toward this house, then hear from heaven your dwelling place and forgive and render to each whose heart you know according to all his ways. For you, you only, know the hearts of the children of mankind, that they may fear you and walk in your ways all the days that they live in the land that you gave to our fathers. Likewise, when a foreigner, who is not of your people Israel, comes from a far country for the sake of your great name and your mighty hand and your outstretched arm, when he comes and prays toward this house, hear from heaven your dwelling place and do according to all for which the foreigner calls to you in order that all the peoples of the earth may know your name and fear you, as do your people Israel, and that they may know that this house that I have built is called by your name. If your people go out to battle against their enemies, by whatever way you shall send them, and they pray to you toward this city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven their prayer and their plea, and maintain their cause." If they sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them, and give them to an enemy, so that they are carried away captive to a land far or near, yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive, and repent and plead with you in the land of their captivity, saying, We have sinned and have acted perversely and wickedly, if they repent with all their heart and with all their soul in the land of their captivity to which they were carried captive, and pray toward their land, which you gave to their fathers, the city that you have chosen and the house that I have built for your name, then hear from heaven your dwelling place, their prayer and their pleas, and maintain their cause, and forgive your people who have sinned against you. Now, O oh my God, let your eyes be open and your ears attentive to the prayer of this place. And now arise, O Lord God, and go to your resting place, you and the ark of your might. Let your priests, O Lord God, be clothed with salvation, and let your saints rejoice in your goodness. O Lord God, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. Remember your steadfast love for David your servant. Chapter 7 Fire from Heaven As soon as Solomon finished his prayer, fire came down from heaven and consumed the burnt offering and the sacrifices, and the glory of the Lord filled the temple. And the priests could not enter the house of the Lord, because the glory of the Lord filled the Lord's house. When all the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement, and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever. Then the king and all the people offered sacrifice before the Lord, 
King Solomon offered as a sacrifice 22,000 oxen and 120,000 sheep. So the king and all the people dedicated the house of God. The priests stood at their post, the Levites also, with the instruments for music to the Lord that King David had made for giving thanks to the Lord, for his steadfast love endures forever. Whenever David offered praise by their ministry, opposite them the priest sounded trumpets, and all Israel stood. And Solomon consecrated the middle of the court that was before the house of the Lord, for there he offered the burnt offering and the fat of the peace offerings, because the bronze altar Solomon had made could not hold the burnt offering and the grain offering and the fat. At that time Solomon held the feast for seven days, and all Israel with him, a very great assembly, from Lebo Hamath to the brook of Egypt. And on the eighth day they held a solemn assembly, for they had kept the dedication of the altar seven days and the feast seven days. On the twenty-third day of the seventh month they sent the people away to their homes, joyful and glad of heart, for the prosperity that the Lord had granted to David and to Solomon and to Israel his people. Thus Solomon finished the house of the Lord and the king's house. All that Solomon had planned to do in the house of the Lord and in his own house he successfully accomplished. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon in the night and said to him, I have heard your prayer and have chosen this place for myself as a house of sacrifice. When I shut up the heavens so that there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land or send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to the prayer that is made in this place. For now I have chosen and consecrated this house that my name may be there forever. My eyes and my heart will be there for all time. And as for you, if you will walk before me as David your father walked, doing according to all that I have commanded you, and keeping my statutes and my rules, then I will establish your royal throne, as I covenanted with David your father, saying, You shall not lack a man to rule Israel. But if you turn aside and forsake my statutes and my commandments that I have set before you, and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will pluck you up from my land that I have given you, and this house that I have consecrated for my name I will cast out of my sight, and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. And at this house, which was exalted, every one passing by will be astonished and say, Why hast the Lord done thus to this land and to this house? Then they will say, Because they abandoned the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt, and laid hold on other gods, and worshipped them, and served them, Therefore he has brought all this disaster on them. Chapter 8 Solomon's Accomplishments At the end of twenty years, in which Solomon had built the house of the Lord and his own house, Solomon rebuilt the cities that Hiram had given to him, and settled the people of Israel in them. And Solomon went to Hamath Zobah and took it. He built Tadmor in the wilderness, and all the store cities that he built in Hamath. He also built Upper Beth-horon 
and lower Beth-Haron, fortified cities with walls, gates, and bars, and Baalath, and all the store cities that Solomon had, and all the cities for his chariots, and the cities for his horsemen, and whatever Solomon desired to build in Jerusalem, in Lebanon, and in all the land of his dominion. All the people who were left of the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites, who were not of Israel, from their descendants who were left after them in the land, whom the people of Israel had not destroyed, these Solomon drafted as forced labor, and so they are to this day. But of the people of Israel, Solomon made no slaves for his work. They were soldiers and his officers, the commanders of his chariots and his horsemen. And these were the chief officers of King Solomon, 250, who exercised authority over the people. And this concludes today's portion from the Old Testament reading in Second Chronicles. Now, as is our custom, we will take a few moments to recap and reflect upon what we have just read. Once you read through the Bible, you will see how both the tabernacle and the temple serve an important function as a prophetic picture and a placeholder for the greater temple, Jesus Christ. His is the perfect provision that God purposed for the rescue of the human race. He is the perfect king, priest, temple, and provides the perfect atoning sacrifice on the altar of the cross. He is the holiest of all. The Apostle John shows how the tabernacle and the temple foreshadow the person and work of the Lord Jesus. In John chapter 1, verse 14, And the Word, that is Jesus Christ, the Son of God, became flesh and dwelt, literally tabernacled among us. We saw His glory, glory as of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. In chapter 2, verse 19, Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, It took forty-six years to build this temple, speaking of Herod's temple, and you will raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. So when he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he said this, and they believed the scripture and the word which Jesus had spoken. Years later, after Jesus ascended to heaven, John, while a prisoner in exile on the island of Patmos, is shown a vision of the future age of the eternal kingdom. I saw no temple in it, for the Lord God, the Almighty, and the Lamb are its temple. Revelation chapter 21, verse 22. Solomon, knowing that a building cannot contain God any more than the entire creation of heaven and earth can contain the one who created them, asked the question, but will God indeed dwell with mankind on the earth? Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 18. At the end of the Bible, that question is answered with a loud voice. And I heard a loud voice from the throne, saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. Revelation chapter 21, verse 3. The promise of God dwelling in the temple constructed by Solomon was conditional upon his obedience. Notice the ifs in this covenant. As for you, if you walk before me as your father David walked, even to do according to all that I have commanded you, and will keep my statutes and my ordinances, then 
I will establish your royal throne as I covenanted with your father David, saying, You shall not lack a man to be ruler in Israel. But if you turn away and forsake my statutes and my commandments which I have set before you and go and serve other gods and worship them, then I will uproot you from my land which I have given you and this house which I have consecrated for my name. I will cast out of my sight and I will make it a proverb and a byword among all peoples. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 17-20 through 20. We often hear people quote Second Chronicles 7, verse 14. If my people who are called by my name humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. In the historical context, it is a promise for the special covenant people of God, Israel. God promises that if they repent of their sin and return to faithfulness to the Lord and His commands, He will reverse the judgments of famine and barrenness that have come upon their land according to God's promises in Deuteronomy 28. It is never wrong to confess sins, forsake them in repentance, and pray for good government and the salvation of the lost in our nation. But this particular verse is given in the context of God's warnings to His covenant people of Israel when they are being disciplined by plagues. As we have already seen in reading Second Kings, due to unfaithfulness to God's word, the kingdom is divided and the northern kingdom of Israel is taken into captivity by the Assyrians and the southern kingdom of Judah is taken into captivity to Babylon. The Lord also states that people observing the prophesied destruction of the temple will know the true cause. It was not due to the superiority of the Assyrians or Babylonians, but due to the sins of God's covenant people. And they will say, Because they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them from the land of Egypt, and they adopted other gods and worshipped them and served them, therefore he has brought all this adversity on them. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 22 There are many other prophetic pictures of Christ that encourage us in Solomon's prayer of dedication. The temple is a picture of the mediatorial role of Jesus Christ. God is holy and must correspond exclusively with what is holy. God is light and in Him is no darkness at all. He dwells in unapproachable light, whom no man has seen or can see. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 16 Jesus makes the invisible God visible, the inaccessible God accessible. He has protected us from being killed by the radiance of God's glory by offering Himself as our shield, thus the dark cloud of Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 1. He has communicated divinity to us in a way that we can apprehend, veiled in human flesh. He is perfectly holy on our behalf. He perfectly corresponds to the name that is the holy character of God. He stands in for us, the guilty sinners, atoning for our sins with the sacrifice of Himself, now representing us as the Lord our righteousness. This helps us understand the value of praying in Jesus' name. Notice in Solomon's dedication prayer that he refers to prayers being answered on the meritorious ground of this house, this place, your dwelling place, and the place of which you have said you would put your name. Read this being mindful that Jesus is that place, and we who believe are positioned in him and thereby favored of God. Second Chronicles chapter 6, verse 20 and 21. 
that your eye may be open toward this house day and night, toward the place of which you have said that you would put your name there, to listen to the prayer which your servant shall pray toward this place. Listen to the supplications of your servant and of your people Israel when they pray toward this place. Hear from your dwelling place, from heaven, hear and forgive. Let this give you confidence, Christian, in Christ one, that God hears your prayer when you are praying in Jesus' name, with your faith rightly directed toward this place, that is, the merits of your perfect mediator, Jesus Christ. For there is one God, and one mediator also between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. In 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, Solomon had a false hope that he would be able to provide a place for God to dwell forever. We all tend to overestimate our ability to keep our promises, and we underestimate the deceitfulness of our own hearts. Solomon would soon be practicing idol worship, and the kingdom would suffer for it, even as it already was suffering from David's sin. God is faithful to his part of the Davidic covenant, but it was not to be David's son Solomon who would build a temple where God's presence would dwell forever, but another son of David, Jesus of Nazareth, who would both be that temple and the builder of it. He would build his community of redeemed to become a corporate temple of the Holy Spirit, which becomes his eternal dwelling place. After Solomon completes his prayer, once again the glory cloud fills the temple of God so that the priests could not perform their services in Second Chronicles chapter 5, verses 13 through 14 and chapter 7, verses 1 and 2. This prophetically pictures that when the glory of God comes in Christ, the fulfillment of all that the temple services require of a perfect mediatorial sacrifice, there is no more need for the temple services. It is finished. John chapter 19, verse 30. After this, the fire comes down from heaven to consume the sacrifices on the altar. It is God who starts the fire that was to burn continually under the altar of the burnt offering, 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 1, Leviticus chapter 6 verses 8 through 13. You may remember that God also sent a fire to inaugurate the services of the brazen altar in the tabernacle, Leviticus chapter 9 verses 22 to 24. This perpetual fire is a symbol of God's holy presence. He is an all-consuming fire in Hebrews chapter 12 verse 29. He is a purifying fire. Only He can make something holy. Now let's go to our next stop on our Bible reading tour, the Apostle Paul's epistle in the New Testament to the church at Rome. The book of Romans, chapter 7, beginning with verse 14. And we will read through to chapter 8, verse 8. Romans 7, verse 14. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. 
so I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in my members another law waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. By sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And this concludes today's portion of our reading from the New Testament, the Epistle to the Romans. Paul explains the dilemma we are faced with due to the operation of our old sin nature. Our deliverance from the power of sin cannot be through natural self-effort. Paul proves that when we try to escape the bondage of sin through our own efforts of law-keeping, we only prove and strengthen the operational law of sin and death. Sin is the transgression of the law, whether it be the law written on tables of stone or on the table of your heart, your conscience. Death speaks of the absence of life. Not only do we need to recognize the sin nature in that it influences us to do what we don't want to do, violate God's law, but that nature is insufficient to empower us to do what we ought to do. Thus we have two operating principles, or laws, the law of sin and the law of death. These are two aspects of the principle of sin at work within the human being. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. Paul clarifies our need for Christ's life for sanctification as well as justification. The law of sin. Romans chapter 7, verse 15. B. I am doing the very thing I hate. Sin. Transgressing the law. Romans chapter 7, verse 16. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, that is, sin, transgressing the law, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. In Romans 7.19b, I practice the very evil that I do not want. Sin is transgressing the law. So we see the law of sin. Now notice the law of death. In verse 15a, I am not practicing what I would like to do. Death, that is lacking sufficient life. Romans 7, verse 19a, For the good that I want, I do not do. That is death, lacking the power of a sufficient life. Romans chapter 7, verse 18, For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is, in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. Speaking of death, lacking the power of a sufficient life. Romans 7, 19a, 
for the good that I want, I do not do. Again, speaking of death, lacking the power of a sufficient life. But I practice the very evil that I do not want. Having diagnosed the problem that these two principles are at work in us, the law of sin and the law of death, Paul is able to show that the way of deliverance is not through law-keeping in the energy of the flesh, but through the operation of a greater law, the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus. The operation of Christ's indwelling life through the Holy Spirit enables us to be delivered from the downward pull of the law of sin and death, just as the law of aerodynamics enables an aircraft to transcend the downward pull of the law of gravity. Romans chapter 8 verses 1 through 4 Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is the justification of Christ's work for us on the cross. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. That speaks of the power of Christ's life in us for sanctification through the Holy Spirit. For what the law could not do, that is, make us right with God and deliver us from the power of sin, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh, freeing us from sin's penalty, so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, that sanctification, holiness, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. We will continue to read this wonderful chapter on the work of the Holy Spirit in the believer in Romans chapter 8 tomorrow. The Holy Spirit is mentioned more times in this chapter than any other, 24 times. Now let's go to the Bible's songbook, the book of Psalms. We are reading Psalm 18, verses 1 through 15. The Lord is my rock and my fortress. To the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord, who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hands of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. He said, Psalm 18, verse 1, I love you, O Lord, my strength. The Lord is my rock and my fortress and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge, my shield and the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. I call upon the Lord who is worthy to be praised, and I am saved from my enemies. The cords of death encompassed me, the torrents of destruction assailed me, the cords of shale entangled me, the snares of death confronted me. In my distress I called upon the Lord, to my God I cried for help. From his temple he heard my voice, and my cry to him reached his ears. Then the earth reeled and rocked, the foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked, because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, and devouring fire from his mouth, glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down, thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew, he came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness his covering, his canopy around him, thick clouds dark with water. Out of the brightness before him hailstones and coals of fire broke through his clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire, and He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them. Then the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare at Your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of Your nostrils. We will be spending three days reading and meditating upon this psalm.
It starts with the psalmist professing his love for the Lord. Have you told the Lord that you love him today? Remember, Jesus said, If you love me, keep my commandments. John chapter 14, verse 15. If you love me, feed my sheep. John chapter 21, verse 17. If you love him, love what he loves and hate what he hates. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 8, And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not see him now, but believe in him, you greatly rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory. Notice that the psalmist knows that the Lord is the source of his strength in verse 1, his security in verse 2, his deliverance in verses 2 through 6. He then goes on to describe how the Lord has made known his presence and his power throughout history in verses 7 through 15. How has the Lord made his powerful presence known to you? Before we conclude our Bible tour today, let's go to the book of Proverbs, chapter 19, verses 24 to 25. The sluggard buries his hand in the dish and will not even bring it back to his mouth. Strike a scoffer and the simple will learn prudence. Reprove a man of understanding and he will gain knowledge. Here's another warning to avoid laziness. Also, here is wisdom showing that there are both profitable and unprofitable ways of correction. How teachable are you? Are you ready to perform the things that need to be done today? God's grace is with you to both instruct you and empower you to do what is pleasing to Him and will bring benefit to others. Let's pray. Lord God, You are our rock, our refuge, our dwelling place. You are our strength and our security. Therefore, we want to abide in you. Lord Jesus, you are the one to whom the eyes of the Father are always looking. The ears of the Father are always listening. We are grateful that we can ask whatever we choose according to your will, and the Father hears us because we are hid with you, identified with you, and have access to the Father and a standing before him because you have given us a place. Father, bless our families, our friends, our neighborhoods, our region, and our country with a visitation of your Holy Spirit's convicting and converting power through the preaching of the gospel. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thank you for being with us today, and I pray that this has been encouraging to your soul. We look forward to continuing our journey tomorrow. If you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can write us at podcast at newlife.org. And if you'd like to receive a written copy of our commentary, you can subscribe at our website, newlife.org. Isn't it good to know that we are being built up to be a spiritual temple in the Lord? May God bless you, and we look forward to joining with you tomorrow. Shalom. Shalom.